All right, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together as family in a faith that you've given us by grace. Thank you for the unity that we're about to enjoy, the fellowship that we are enjoying, enjoying through the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, what a privilege this is this evening. And just, we pray that we embrace what we do have and not focus on the things that we don't. And we do have this evening together as family, Father. You know as well as anyone hearing my voice that we miss each other and we've longed for this fellowship. So we really do appreciate your grace this evening. Father, we do pray for those in the congregation that are still ill, that for a variety of reasons can't be with us this evening. Our spirit goes out to them, Father. We want them to know that we're with them in spirit, that we long to fellowship with them too. Of course, Father, we pray for those that are still lost in this world, without hope, that they be humbled and they receive saving faith, Father, before it's too late. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to make an evening like this a reality for us to rejoice in. Father, we do pray that this message be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, Proverbs 17, Wisdom, Part 3. We began uh, reading Part 17, uh, excuse me, Proverbs 17 last Thursday. Uh, and I just want to share with you, uh, sometimes I'm asked, you know, how do you know where to take the congregation? Um, this is a, a, quite a journey I think we're going to uh, endeavor upon here. Uh, how do I know? Well, God makes it obvious once I sit down to write my messages. And for example, I shared last time the reason we're on this series in Proverbs 17 is because I was reading the book in my personal studies over coffee. And as I was doing so, um, the Spirit kept pointing things out to me. And so the, really the moral of the story is, even though not everyone's got the responsibility of being a pastor or of leading a congregation, uh, this is something to think about up here on the board. The value of reading your Bible. That's why I shared that story with you. Because even as a pastor, I'm led in that activity. I don't know day to day what he's going to reveal to me. I don't know lesson to lesson, message to message, what it is he's going to have me focus on. And so I get that question from now, uh, now and again, how do you know? Well, up here on the board, daily reading of the Bible often results in the most profound realizations on your own time, with your own fellowship. If it is used by the Spirit to guide a pastor, it can certainly be used to guide you. DJ, do we still have these uh, air conditioners on full blast? Is that too loud for you, Scott? You sure? I can hear it way up here. Turn it off. Yeah, I can hear it way up here. Sorry. 
Go to Proverbs 17.1, please. Proverbs 17.1, we'll catch up where we left off last time. Yeah, that's much better. Nadine, is that all right? Okay. Proverbs 17, verse 1. We'll catch up where we left off last time. We are on part 3, so if you've missed parts 1 and 2, I would suggest you catch up online. Proverbs 17, verse 1. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. And so we have this contrast right out of the gate. Proverbs 17, 1, verse 1. Fantastic passage in Holy Scripture. Better is a dry morsel with quiet. In other words, better to not have a whole lot but be at rest than a house full of feasting with strife. So, so much of Sunday's message pivoted on the following principle up here on the board, that we humans have a really bad habit of forgetting where we came from. And I think if we're humble about this, I think it's a fair statement. We have a really bad habit of forgetting where we came from. Of most prominence, of course, is salvation itself. We all love the fact that we were at one point saved by the grace of God. And for many of us, we look back on that event in our lives, and we have to admit that we've become familiar, that we've forgotten where we've come from. So we went to several Old Testament passages in parts one and two to learn how, as Solomon would say, there's nothing new under the sun. And we noted how uh, human nature is human nature. In other words, uh, it doesn't matter what, at what point in human history we are investigating or considering, including our own, uh, the flesh is the flesh. Human nature is human nature. It manifests the same way today as it did way back thousands of years ago. And that's one uh, message that we have to keep very close as we read our Bibles. So we noted how human nature is human nature. And what has been is what will be. So let's quickly review that. Go to Deuteronomy 6, verse 10. Deuteronomy 6, verse 10. You guys are quiet tonight. Is it the masks? You're like, I can't breathe. (laughs) Oh, man. You guys really are quiet, though. Maybe you're out of, you like out of sync, you're out of rhythm, you're not used to being in, in church. <laughs> like, this is strange, it's been three months. It's much more comfortable in my cozy chair. Deuteronomy 6, verse 10. Then it shall come about when the Lord, your God, brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you great and splendid cities, which, by the way, you did not build, and houses full of all good things, which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns, which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied. And then he says, then watch yourself. In other words, be warned. This is our example. Way back thousands of years in the Old Testament, We're looking back thousands of years here, right? What's he say? I gave all this stuff to you by grace. Watch yourself. Watch yourself. And drive that home in your own souls. 
because you're an American. And because you're an American, you've been given all kinds of blessings. Um, even being here, we joke about being here with masks on and, you know, complaining and moaning and groaning about laws and this kind of thing and that kind of thing. Anybody get shot at today because they were a Christian? For real. Anyone have a relative that was, I don't know, beheaded or burned or chased out of town? Uh, that stuff happens all the time in this world, only because these individuals are Christians. So do not become familiar, you know, like case in point. So you've got to wear a mask. Okay, big deal. Look at where you're at. Look at, look, honestly, look at where you're at. Not to mention the simple things. Oh, we've got to turn the A.C. off. Some places don't even have A.C. Remember that, Joey? In India, 120 degrees, 120 people packed together like sardines, going like this, praise the Lord, just for the opportunity to have this kind of teaching. Please don't become familiar. We're all going through the same kind of stuff. Let's not be brats. Watch yourself. That's what the Bible says. Watch yourself. That you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Again, the point on the board, we humans have a really bad habit of forgetting where we came from. Here's another verse we looked at in support of the principle on the board. I've got this one up on the board for you. Deuteronomy 31, verse 20. When I bring them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and are satisfied and become prosperous. I mean, life is good, right? Life is good. Then check this out. They will turn to other gods, little g, and serve them and spurn me and break my covenant. What has been is what will be. There's nothing new under the sun. Human nature is human nature. And that's what we learn from the Bible. Again, we humans have a very short memory. If we think about it, the underlying reason is that we're fickle. We're fickle. Our affections change constantly. Constantly. What we love today, we abhor tomorrow. And what we abhor today, we love tomorrow. We can't make up our minds. This is, this is like the human condition. Our, our love is fickle. We're fickle, even with God. Here's our guidance on love, by the way, from Holy Scripture, Romans 12, verse 9. It says, very simply, let love be genuine. And I'll give you the Greek here, not phony, sincere, and free from hidden agendas. In other words, you know, selfish motives, literally, without hypocrisy, unfeigned. That's what that Greek word that's translated be genuine means. Not phony, sincere, and free from hidden agendas or selfish motives, literally, without hypocrisy, unfeigned. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. So if we think about this for a moment, what's the Spirit trying to draw out of Holy Scripture for us? We're fickle because our love isn't truly this way, isn't truly genuine. We're, let's face it, who wants to raise their hand right now and say they're not a hypocrite? 
We're all hypocrites. I love Jesus. Yeah, what are you going to do when you go home tonight? What kind of thoughts are you going to have when you're driving when that person cuts you off? Or that, you have, you know, your favorite radio station's not coming in. Or you try to make that last-minute phone call and it drops dead out here somewhere in the middle of it, right? Oh, so, so sad. We're hypocrites. We're not grateful for all that we've been given. Shouldn't, shouldn't this right here, shouldn't that right there be enough? It was when we were saved. We were all jazzed up. Todd and I were talking about this this past week, how jazzed up we were, right? Oh, man, I'm saved. Praise Jesus. <laughs> I didn't care. I knew that when the Spirit said, you, my friend, are saved, you're coming with me. I'm like, yes, I don't care what happens. Drop a house on me. I don't even care, right? In that moment, right? Is that fair? Everybody's like, it wasn't that, you know. You know what I'm saying, though, right? I mean, we're ecstatic that we're saved, that God loved us that much to send his son. Well, here I go. I haven't been here, what, 15 minutes? I'm going to stop weeping. It's good to see you all. That we forget. We were so jazzed up in that moment. What happened? We become familiar. We're fickle. That's what happened. We're fickle because our love isn't always this way, isn't truly genuine. It isn't pure, say, the way Jesus's was. Now, granted, in all fairness... Dropped my mask. In all fairness, he's the only person to possess 100% pure love uh, on earth. But as the Spirit's taught us all in the past, that doesn't mean his desire for us is anything less. He desires for us to have genuine love. That's his desire. And I remember I heard, uh, I think it was Pastor MacArthur, once said, it's not about perfection. The way we think about today, you know, we look in the mirror and we say, I, it's true, I, I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> it's not about perfection, it's about direction. It, it's about where we're going. It's about the intent of our changed heart, the heart that was changed at salvation. That's the litmus test. Do I want to go towards Jesus Christ daily? Am I going to fall down? Am I going to sin? You bet. But do I want to go towards him? Is he my refuge? Is he my savior? You, you know, it's not about being perfect. It's about going in the right direction. Think about this from another perspective for a moment, too. When you love others more, when you have this kind of genuine love without hypocrisy, when you love others more, you're blessed. Now think about this. It brings up a good point as a little side note. We often think of love in selfish terms, if we're honest. Like, oh, you know, how great is it that I'm loved? I mean, who here doesn't like to know that they're loved by someone? It's great to know that we're loved. And so we think about love in selfish terms. But Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. He didn't exclude love, by the way. He just said as a general principle, it's more blessed to give than to receive. This means, up here on the board, the blessing of love. Giving love is actually a greater blessing than receiving it in time. 
giving love is actually a greater blessing than receiving it. Acts 20.35. This is opposite of what the world suggests. Worldly lovers are selfish lovers, intent on gathering unto themselves, just like they do in every other aspect of their lives. It's all, you know, what have you done for me lately? Give me, give, I, I will love you for as long as you, can, you continue to feed this monster, right? This greedy, fleshly monster. As long as you keep feeding this thing, I will love you. In other words, all the onus is on the other person. But the principle the Spirit's just brought out is that when you love more, you are blessed. So, fickleness is a destructive force because you're actually loving less as a result of your love being disingenuous. Fickleness is a destructive force because you're actually loving less. Why? Because you don't have a purely genuine love. And disingenuous love is merely superficiality seeking to receive someone else's affections to appease your own flesh. Love me so I can love you back. Well, that's a, that's a, really, um, that's a really poor investment strategy. How about that? You love me and I'll love you back. I think there's a better way. I think there's a way that Jesus did it, who was full of love. He loved others, even when they hated him. They, they despised him, and he showed them love. And he was perfectly at peace and perfectly happy and had a joy set before him. Hmm. Hence, our previous point up here on the board, again, Romans 12, 9. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Not phony, sincere, and free from hidden agendas, selfish motives, literally without hypocrisy, unfeigned. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. So the point the Spirit's building up here, we haven't lost this point up here on the board. We humans have a really bad habit of forgetting where we came from. Have you ever heard the expression, love with abandon? You know what I mean by that? Just, just be all in. Like, love with abandon. Just love that way. When you really think about it, that's what genuine love looks like. It loves with abandon. It means that you're willing to be completely vulnerable, even, to the person you're extending your love towards. It means it's not a give and take. There's no insecurity because there's no dependence on them loving you back. So that frees you up, doesn't it, to abide in a sphere of love all on your own. You don't need the other person's love to validate or to substantiate your love. Your love exists prior to even you expressing it. That's what Jesus' example is. In our flesh, we hated him. Prior to salvation, before our hearts was, were changed, we hated them because we loved ourselves more, much, much more. And by comparison, we hated them. 
But yet, what did he do for us? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Hmm. That's what genuine love looks like. It, it's willing to be vulnerable, even. So again, it means that you're willing to be completely vulnerable to the person you're extending your love towards. And you do so without any disappointment in case they do not reciprocate. Genuine love loves objectively, not subjectively. And we've learned this many times in the past. Objective love means you love someone because of who you are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to express my love towards someone else because of who I am. And I'm going to be perfectly okay with that. I'm going to be fulfilled with that kind of love, with that brand of love. It's completely foreign to the rest of the world, but I don't care. I don't care. Subjective love means you love someone because of who they are. And that's the distinction. In the case of Jesus Christ, when we love Him, fortunately, thankfully, He responds perfectly to us, which is sort of like a double blessing, right? It's good to, be know, it's good to know that we're loved by Him. If we secretly seek to protect ourselves, we miss out on the blessing of loving Him the way we ought to, that is, genuinely. You see what the Spirit's doing? He's drawing you into this thing called genuine love, selfless, objective love. That's what he's doing. He's drawing you into it. Some of you need this because when you were at home for three months, it was all me, oh my. Nobody loves me lately. Even the government hates me. The government hates me. That's how Sean talks. Pick that up from Sean since he's been home. Teaching him good things over there at the academy. Right? Everybody hates me. The world's, you know, it's all about, it's me, me, me. I can't do it. I I can't go get my, uh, I don't know, my Frappuccino anymore. Or my little, uh, I don't know, my steak sandwich. Or whatever it is (laughs) that, you know, you're so being dramatic about. Or maybe it's even in your own household. Maybe if everybody in the household just loved this way, things would iron out. Instead of everybody being so needy. Maybe things would iron out. Maybe God's way of loving would actually work out and things would be a lot easier in the home. Now, some of you are like, I do love that way, but the other creatures in my house, they're vile. <laughs> and you might be true. I don't know. Do what you, As long as it depends on you, what does the Bible say? Be at peace with everyone. So there's only so far you can take that. But as far as according to you, Genuine love. That's what the Spirit's trying to draw out of you. If you want peace in the home, genuine love. You're better off being broke and having a peaceful home than prosperous with strife. That's Proverbs 17.1. That's where we're coming from with all this. See how awesome this is? So anyways, if we secretly seek to protect ourselves, we miss out on the blessing of loving our Lord the way we ought to. That is genuinely. And this is where we become fickle. As soon as we move away from that genuine love, we become fickle. Because we're not 100% loving him. All of a sudden, we're loving other people and other things. And we lose out. Because we never fully dive headlong into our relationship with him, 
we ought for other relationships. I mean, we love him for saving us, though, right? But we soon move on from him and even treat him terribly at times. So, what's the Spirit saying? If we connect the dots here, we conclude that a fickle person is an insecure person. And an insecure person is an arrogant person, although it's covert. You don't love me. Now I'm insecure. That is garbage. Don't ever let anybody have that kind of control over you. You don't love me. I'm insecure as a result. That is garbage. Wipe that out of your soul. See, if you love the way Christ loved, you're untouchable. I don't know. Which one do you think is better? How about here up on the board? on this topic of self-preservation. If you read the book, Covert Arrogance, I don't know how many times I've plugged this. Just saying. And I know, I know it's a hard read. Some of you are like, man, have you read that yourself? I wrote it, I'm just saying. So I kind of know. And I have read it probably three or four times myself. And every time I'm like, this is kind of a tough read. It's not only really challenging, but it's technical. So just take your time with it. It's not a big deal. But just read it. Okay, that's my plug. If you read the book, Covert Arrogance, you know that arrogant people are insecure people. Oh, sure, they beat their chests, you know, but they're insecure. You know that arrogant people are insecure people. Insecure people cling to themselves in an effort to protect their fragile psyche. Arrogance retards genuine love, which robs you of blessings. That's what the Spirit's been sewing together here this evening. All right, go back to our primary passage where we see the fruit of this kind of arrogance. Proverbs 17, verse 1. I said this when we were doing just voiceover slides. I would say put a marker there. If you've got one of those little strings, I'd put that in there. Or a bookmark or something. Proverbs 17, verse 1. Again, look at what the Spirit's saying. It's pretty straightforward, right? Especially, you know, come on. Some of you are like, yeah, I've been here. I've been on both sides. Way better to be just living in peace and quiet. You know, broke over here. And then I, I came up into all this money and this wealth. The next thing I know, ooh. Again, verse 1. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. An arrogant, fickle person doesn't just hoard their love, they hoard their money too. It's a mindset. It's a fruit of this arrogance. We looked at love. They don't just hoard their love. They're not just insecure about it. They hoard their money too. And by the way, they're insecure about that as well. Is there any non-human thing more lusted after than money? I'm not sure, at least in America. So when we ponder the fact that humanity has a really bad habit of becoming familiar with their blessings, we can at least attribute a good portion of our affections being directed excuse me, towards money and all the things it can buy. I mean, we are Americans after all, right? This is the, the uh, land of prosperity as far as money, many other countries are concerned we can attribute a good portion of our affections being directed towards money and all the stuff it can buy. Um, 
Here's what Jesus had to say about our affections up here on the board. Luke 12, 34. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you treasure money over genuine love, that's where your heart goes. And your heart's broken. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It seems that most people in America love money more than Jesus. And if you know what I'm talking about, you know that these same people, just will you please look at their fruit? People that are in love with money, they're the same people who are among the most insecure, the most fickle, and the most arrogant people of all. You shall know them by their fruit. That's what Jesus said. Wisdom repeats itself through the Bible on the topic of money. Go to Psalm 49, verse 10. Psalm 49, verse 10. Nadine, is that cold? You sure? All right. Hey, as if you didn't know. <laughs> I'm being picking on you. I'm like, is, is it cold? She's like, yeah, I'm good. Are you sure? 49.10, Psalm 49.10. Reads, for he sees that even wise men die. Here's the point, though. The stupid and the senseless alike perish. And you know what? They leave their wealth to others. All that striving after the wind. All that striving after all that wealth. And guess what? You don't take it to the grave. It goes to somebody else. The Bible tells us that we don't even own anything. Everything we have, you know, even if you say, you, I own my car. I own my car. I just paid it off last week. 72 payments later, right? You don't own that thing. God owns it. That's what the Bible says. It's not your car. It's not your house. It's not your cat. It's not your dog. <gasps> you went there? I went there. It's not yours. None of this stuff is yours. It's all loaned courtesy of God. Just saying. We're not going to take it with us. So, I ask what Jesus asked. What does it profit a man if he gains the world but forfeits his soul? Let's read more, a more balanced viewpoint. Go to Proverbs 11.24. Proverbs 11.24. We're actually going quicker than we did on Sunday on this topic. Um, Proverbs 11.24. I like how the Spirit works, though, because there are certain people, and I could be speaking to them right now, that this whole COVID thing has actually affected their finances, right? And I'm not um, disrespecting that or dismissing it. That's between them and the Lord. Uh, but I like the way the Spirit works because he says, hey, listen, yeah, it's, it's tougher, but you've got a long way to go before you hit your needs, where your needs are starting to be threatened, right? Oh, yeah, there's a whole host of wants that, you know, might be threatened, but you've got a long way to go before you reach the, the bottom rung where my, where my promises are to take care of you. Um, anyways, Proverbs 11:24. In other words, I like that he doesn't let the foot off the gas, so to speak. One gives freely and grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Hmm. 
here's the truth. It's an, I think this is a secular, obviously, this is a secular proverb, but I like it. The things you own end up owning you. That's what was being stated in Proverbs, essentially. The things you own end up owning you. This is something we noted through the wisdom of Solomon. Go to Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. If you don't believe what I just said, well, maybe you'll believe Solomon, who was the wisest man uh, of his time. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Ooh, it's, ooh, right? It's like that love thing. But I, I, but I love it. Yeah, but you're never going to get what you, you think you're going to get out of that thing. But I love it. <laughs> and the Bible says you're not going to be satisfied with it, so stop chasing it. It's not designed to satisfy your flesh or your fleshly desires. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. In other words, don't make that mistake like, and say, I just need more. All right, all right, all right, all right, I admit, I admit. I'm doing pretty good. I love it. I'm not satisfied yet, but I think I just need a little more. So I'm going to, like, grind it out even more and make more money and sacrifice more of my time and energy. Because once I get to this threshold, then I'm going to find, you know, happiness and contentment. Nope. The Bible says, nope, doesn't work that way. You're just a fool. You're getting more foolish, actually, the longer you stay on that treadmill. And he says it, this too is vanity. So take a good look around at the rat race we live in and just look at how many people are slaves to wealth. Solomon had something to say about this folly up here on the board. Ecclesiastes 1.14, right at the beginning of the book. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. Hmm. Here's the summary point that the Spirit wants to press into your soul. I love this point from Sunday's message. Love it. Wealth should first be considered a test. Like, literally, test it. All right, so first of all, do I think I have the capacity for this thing? Because it could be coming from the kingdom of darkness. It's not beyond this world to, quote, counterfeit, bless you out. What's the test? Do I have capacity for this thing? Do I believe it's from God? Wealth should first be considered a test long before it should ever be considered a blessing. One last principle for us to review on the topic of wealth before we head back to our primary passage. Go to Ecclesiastes 6, verse 1. Ecclesiastes 6, verse 1. I love that God ordains... Um, certain paradoxes, if you want to call it that, so that we have examples, maybe even in our own lives, to learn from. Ecclesiastes 6.1, Solomon had something to say. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is prevalent among men. A man to whom God has given, this is Ecclesiastes 6.2, a man whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that his soul lacks nothing. Of all that he desires. In other words, gimme, 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 right? Oh, this is the best. I have no desires like with material stuff and all that good stuff. Yet, God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. 
This is vanity and severe affliction. Let me give you the Amplified Classic up here on the board. It might give you a little bit more clarity. Ecclesiastes 6.2, Amplified Classic. A man to whom God has given riches, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing for his soul of all that he might desire. Yet, God does not give him the power or capacity to enjoy them, things which are gifts from God. What? God does like this thing? Yep. Why? Probably to prove his point. But a stranger in whom he has no interest succeeds him and consumes and enjoys them. This is vanity, emptiness, falsity, and futility. It is a sore affliction. Again, up here on the board, concentrate. Here's the point on this verse in Proverbs 17. Sometimes God gives wealth to those without capacity for it. Personally, for whatever it's worth, and only God knows, I think that describes the average American. I mean, look at how many brats there are in America. Right? Gimme, 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 gimme. And they don't have any capacity for it. I'm talking about believers even. I'm talking about people that should know better even. I might be talking about you. Some of you are like, yeah, he's talking about me. Right? <laughs> I kind of love money. I kind of like it. I grew up with it. I'm American. And you, in, in all fairness, sometimes you don't even know until you go somewhere else. Um, so in like another country or something like that or some really destitute part of, of America. You just don't know. And, um, but that shouldn't matter. The point is, Sometimes God gives wealth to those without capacity for it. I would describe this as the average American. Ask Evangelist Grande what he thinks the greatest philosophical opposition to his street evangelism is. I'd be willing to bet that a lot of people that he approaches say, I'm too busy. You know, they're kind of like, you might be in the mall doing his thing or something, and they kind of like, right, did they give you the hand, Scott? Yep, no, I'm good. I'm good. I've got a religion already. You know, you know, look, I have it in my top pocket right there. I've got a religion already, you see? It's all about possessions, right? I got one of those. Mm -hmm. Check that box off. I got a religion right here. And I have time for that because I'm chasing money. I'm chasing the American dream. I'm chasing this thing that's striving after wind. I'm chasing it. I think if I just get a little bit more in abundance, then I'll be happy. And then when you get there, the kingdom of darkness, you know what it does? It just raises the bar a little bit more. Oh, no, you're almost there. So you get to, you're almost there for like 50 years. You're almost there. You know, and he's got a carrot, and he just keeps pulling. Right? Probably missed my teeth. Right? And you just keep chasing it because it keeps saying the same thing. Ooh. Is that fair, Scott? A lot of people just give him the hand. No, I'm good. But even if they do stop and listen, you know, they might be looking at their watches or making excuses why they can't stick around. You know, for us, this funny thing is, it's the, most, it's the most serious conversation you could possibly have in your life. And they don't have time for it. Why? Because their affections are somewhere else. Hmm. What's the issue? Everyone's too busy trying to maintain a standard of living that requires a lot of money. That's the American way. 
Does God allow them to obtain more and more wealth? Well, according to scripture we just read, yep. Yes, he does. Sometimes I like to think of a fisherman, right? He lets the line out. You know, like you catch a fish, right? Sometimes you've got to let the lines out until the fish ties itself out and then you just reel it in. That's what he does for some of us. He's like, okay, all right. You want this that bad? Set the hook. And you're out there. Right? And you're like, and he just reels you in. Maybe that's tonight. I don't know. Maybe for the last three months you've been concocting schemes and being ridiculous. I don't know. How do I know? Maybe he's reeling you in. So God allows people to obtain more and more wealth. Again, on the board, sometimes God gives wealth to those without capacity for it. And this is why I've asked you so many times over the years. I mean, <clears throat> when did we start this? Oh, 09, I think, 09 or 10? It's been over a decade. Are the blessings you lay claim to really blessings from God? Or are they counterfeit blessings from the world that keep you ensnared? That's a fair question. It's not beyond the world. Matter of fact, that's probably one of Satan's favorite tools, especially for Americans, where it's easy prey. Let me just dangle a few bucks in front of you, and we turn into instant prostitutes. What do I do for that thing? I'll sell my soul for this thing in the moment. You know what I mean? I'll do whatever it takes. I want that thing so bad. What makes you think that it's always from God? It's a fair question. Only you can, in prayer, answer that for yourself. Okay, go back to Proverbs 17.1. 45 minutes again on that thing. You guys must be wretched. <laughs> Let's blame the masks, right? You're just breathing too much of your own oxygen or whatever. That, that doesn't even make sense because you don't breathe out oxygen. No. Proverbs 17.1, better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Before we press on to verse 2, one more principle up here on the board on priorities. If you're a believer, you've got nothing to be striving for when it comes to money. What you should be focusing your attention on is your capacity for it. Do I have the capacity for it? Well, let me ask, you ready? Let me just net the whole thing out. You ready? We're going to net this whole thing out. Just say, this is how simple it is. You ready? No extra charge. If whatever it is you're doing takes you away from God, then it's probably not from God. Is that fair? He's either, is that fair? Is that, is that a fair way to summarize it? You understand? I'm, talking, I'm even thinking long term, right? He might let you fall along like we just saw. But long term, that's a good litmus test. In other words, if you're so busy chasing after the wind that you're not, taking, you're not reading your Bible, you're not taking in the messages, you're not reading the blogs, you're not going back, you're not reading the book. Did I say Covert Arrogance book yet? You're not reading the book. You're not doing any of the stuff that God, the Holy Spirit, says, I need you to read this stuff because I'm trying to sanctify you because I love you. But, but, but I'm too busy chasing after the wind. But, but, but I need a new pair of kicks. I need a new perm. I need a new, I don't know, purse. I don't know what is it you people are spending your money on nowadays. Right? Whatever it is. But, but, but there's no but. 
It literally is that simple. If it's taking you away from that which is good, what did the Bible, what did we read in the beginning of class? <laughs> Chris is choking. Is this hitting home, Chris? You want to talk? It's good. <laughs> it says, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Evil is something that takes you away from God. That destroys genuine love. That gets you redirected away from loving others, loving Christ, giving so you can be blessed, by the way. It takes you away from that thing, tears your eyes off of all things good, and changes your affections. Right? When that happens, that's when all hell breaks loose. That's when we, we lose out. That's when we start chasing after the wind. That's when we become our own proverb. What you should be focusing on is your, is your capacity for wealth. All right, let's press on. Proverbs 17, too. You ready? We've got about 13 minutes left. can't believe it. Some of you are like, I can't. Proverbs 17, too. <laughs> A servant who deals wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share the inheritance as one of the brothers. So this got really interesting, too. He doesn't have a whole lot to say in terms of review, but this is what he gave us in the first two messages. We've learned that bloodlines, you know, blood relatives, bloodlines, mean nothing when it comes to integrity to the word of truth. That shouldn't matter. Integrity is integrity. What's right is right. What's wrong is wrong. The last thing we want to do is show partiality to others, especially because, you know, well, they're family. As I've said many times, if someone's family, all the more reason to do what's right for them, what's best. Hold your thumb there. Go to Galatians 6.10. Galatians 6, verse 10. Galatians 6, verse 10. I just smile at someone, and I can't tell if they smile back. <laughs> I'm like, they're like, I'm just going to make it. Yeah, they're totally smiling. Galatians 6.10. <laughs> so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And what's that say? Especially to those who are of the household of faith. Is it good to be partial or impartial. It's good to be impartial. Well, especially to those who are of the household of faith. How about that? Your family, in other words. All right, go back to Proverbs 17, verse 2. The point is all the more reason to function with integrity with family. Proverbs 17, verse 2. <clears throat> A servant... Proverbs 17, verse 2. A servant who deals wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share the inheritance as one of the brothers. Just remember the following, okay, before we move on. Up here on the board. You are not entitled to anything unless God decides to give it to you. That's where that should end. Don't say, I'm entitled to this just because, you know, it's a family member. Whether you're giving or receiving something, as heinous as partiality. 
You're not entitled to receive partiality. You're not entitled to give it. Right? All right, verse 3. We've got a little extra time. Yep. Verse 3. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests the heart. I gave you this to look at. This is what a crucible looks like. You basically put uh, metal in this thing called a crucible. It's basically a little cup and you heat it up. You heat it up to the point where the metal starts decomposing. So if you want to take an analogy one step, excuse me, the Bible uses the, um, the, uh, the assayer terminology, this idea of a crucible and heating up metal, for testing purity. Okay? For testing purity. So if you want to take this analogy one step further than last time we looked at it, when a metal decomposes, it's often easy to scrape the dross, they call it the dross. Have you ever seen one? You can almost see it in the picture, I think. Usually something riding on the top of the metal, the, the molten metal. They'll scrape it off because that's not part of the pure metal that they're trying to, uh, I, I hate to use the word distill. I don't know what the right metallurgical term is, but uh, they're trying to get to that pure metal, or purify the metal. They'll scrape off the dross and throw it out. That's what raising the temperature of a metal does. Um, so in effect, extreme heat purifies metal. Just like extreme pressure in life purifies us. That's the point. For starters, like in 1 Peter 1.7, testing by fire reveals to us whether or not our faith is pure. We get put under pressure. We say, oh, I've got faith. I mean, we like to think we have faith, right? I mean, who doesn't like to think that we have faith? But God has a way of pointing out that our faith is riddled with impurities. He says, cool, you think you got some faith? Okay, I'm going I'm to turn up the pressure now. And we're going to see how much faith is real, how pure your faith is. And when he turns up the heat, all of a sudden there's like dross just firing out of us. Right? It's like, right? oh, I guess it wasn't that pure. But the nice thing is we get heated up, we get... And, you, you know, we get heated up. You can scrape that off. Once he says, I see it. You, you see it. Let's scrape that stuff off. You see the impurities in you? Let's, let's, let's heat it up, and we'll throw it out. Okay? And you'll be that much purer. In other words, sanctified. That's the whole analogy. Okay? Hold your thumb there. Uh, actually, no, let me see. No, I've got it for you up here on the board. First Peter 1.7, the New Living Translation. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So, when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So recall the same analogy that we're noting in Proverbs 17.3 with the crucible up here on the board. Faith must be tested for it to be consummated. I can make sure we're, yep, okay. Faith must be tested for it to be consummated. I've taught you that ooh, several times over the past decade or so. Um, faith isn't even real. We can't even consider our own faith. God knows, but we don't. Faith isn't real until it's put to the test. That's the point. That's what we've learned in Holy Scripture. In other words, while God always knows the purity of our faith, we must have it tested by fire. 
a la 1 Peter 1.7, in order to understand its purity for ourselves. It's for us that we are put into this crucible that God ordains the heat to get turned up to immense levels just so we know where is our threshold. I thought I was here, but I guess I'm here. And maybe in a good way, sometimes you say, I thought I was here, but heck, I'm actually here. And that's a beautiful thing too. The whole idea is just to know the truth, to know the purity. Talk is cheap, as they say. So this testing proves to us that which we need to know about ourselves, lest we deceive ourselves. Allah, up here on the board, Galatians 6.3, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And that's a terrible place to be in, to be in self-deception. So the point we learned last time up here on the board, the result of testing by fire, the value of being tested by fire in the crucible is very much about confession. If you know what the word confession means in the Bible, it's that Greek word homologeo, it means to say the same thing. That's it. Homo, same, legeo, word, say the same word. Say the same thing. As who? God. That's all confession is. I'm not going to lie about my faith. Right? And God's going to say, you bet you're not, because I'm going to show you that you ain't way up here. I'm going to turn up the heat, and you're going to whoop. You're like, oh, man, I confess. I'm down here, huh, God? Yeah, you're down here. Right? Hey, that's the way it goes. But that's the value of testing by fire. The value of being tested by fire in the crucible is very much about confession. God already knows. We need to have things pointed out to us. So think about how much the Spirit's pointed out to us just tonight in this message, and I'm going to close here in a moment. Just tonight. He used Proverbs 17.1 to caution us against the love of money that precludes us from blessings. That's a big topic, especially for Americans. In Proverbs 17.2, he pointed out that we are plagued with partiality, especially when it comes to our families. And now in Proverbs 17.3, he's saying, if I go ahead and test your faith, I need you to be humble about our findings. I need you to be humble about what I reveal to you. On this last note up here on the board, the proof of humility, we must willingly go into the crucible to be tested by fire. It's never enough to say God knows the truth. We must understand the truth about ourselves fully and confess it to God in order to be truly delivered from whatever impurities still remain in us. That's what humility does. says, okay, Lord, I know this is going to sting. I know it's going to burn. I know it's going to hurt. But I'm willing to go through this thing. Some of you went through it over the past three months. I, you know, personally, whatever. But it's all relative, right? For some of you that, I don't know what's going on in your life. But that was a little bit of a crucible. The last three months has been a a little bit of a crucible for you. I don't know. But the idea is that you're to go in and say, okay, Lord, you ordained my life. You ordained this point in time for me. You ordained this sickness. You ordained this, this hurt. You ordained this discomfort. You ordained these creatures in my house that I cannot get away from now. <laughs> Chris, here he goes again. Right? I think he's talking about you guys. I'm just saying. 
right? These creatures in my house, I can't escape. Well, guess who blessed you with those creatures? Who said I do at the altar? You did. Who had children? You did. Who decided to adopt a dog? You did. Or a cat, or a whatever you adopted. I don't want to know. You did, right? And God says, okay, I'll give it to you. Now let's go through this together. Let's change it up. Let's shake this whole thing up. Let's, cha- let's shake your tidy little life up. You know your tidy little American life? You know what I'm saying, right? With your frappuccino and your pods, right? And you do your thing and you're all, oh, this life is good. It's just going to continue like this forever. And God goes, no, it ain't. I'm going to change everything. How'd you make out? I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But that's what the crucible is. You, some of you, if you're humble, said, man, I thought I had more faith than that. I thought I, I, thought I um, this genuine love thing, I think I might have been lacking. Because uh, it was pretty much all about me. The little creatures got on my nerves. They didn't love me anymore. I didn't love, you know, whatever. The whole dynamic, the love thing, got a little tangled, got a little, you figured out that you're an arrogant, selfish lover. Uh, I don't know. These are all possibilities. Just saying. Yep. Let's read it real quick. Okay, for the sake of, <laughs> for the sake of continuity, let's read all three verses together. I have to close because now we're over. And let's confess the truth in it. That's the point. Read it and confess the truth in it. We've got a lot of scripture behind us. We've got a lot in front of us. Proverbs 17, 1. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. A servant who deals wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share the inheritance as one of the brothers. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests the hearts. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word here as family. Thank you for bringing us back to North Christian Church, Father. What a wonderful time to celebrate. Thank you for the grace that you've poured out into our lives on this evening. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to the privacy of our own souls and our families even, and then your will be done, of course, out to a world that's just in desperate need of truth. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.